Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Our reading today comes from Luke 22, 7 through 23. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That's where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces, gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is a man who will betray me, for it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, buddy. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this room, and I thank you for these people, and I've just been overwhelmed all morning um, with your spirit and the idea that you love a party. And today sure has felt like a party, and so I asked for more of that. Uh, I pray that in these next few minutes, you would, um, I don't know, would you replace uh, the lies all around us that tell us that we don't belong to you, and will you remind us um, through a rhythm that we do every single week that um, you say we belong, that you're with us and for us, and so... Uh, We just offer ourselves to you this morning and ask that you would move. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. Um, If you're wondering, my shirt is very flappy. Sorry. Annie told me I look like a pirate, but in a cool way. (laughs) So I don't know what that means. Um, I feel like the puffy shirt from Seinfeld, if you know that. Um, 
So if it's distracting, then, you know, you're welcome. This is, this is a good time. Um, we are a few weeks into a series that we are calling Dust. Um, and in case you've missed out or, or this is your first week with us in this series, um, our hope for this series of talks is to put ourselves in close proximity to Jesus. That's our whole goal of all of these talks is to put ourselves in close proximity to Jesus. Uh, the phrase that we've used is um, that we would be close enough to Jesus that his dust, like the dust of his sandals would cover us or would powder us. And um, every time I've said that phrase, I think of a little kid eating one of those white powder donuts right next to you. That's how covered we want to be. <laughs> if you've ever sat with anyone under the age of 10 or me eating a white powder donut, then that amount of, of, of covering, um, that's what we're talking about. So Today we're going to look at the story that Jamie just uh, read to us out of Luke 22, this, this really intimate moment between Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. Um, this is right before he died. This, this story, it is so meaningful and it's so formational uh, that the church has been practicing the rhythm of this story since the story happened. So... Um, that's what we're going to talk about. When I, um, when I think about this story, um, I think about how much of our lives are spent around a table. Um, every time I preach this story or I've, I've preached the Mark version of it um, uh, about communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, whichever term you want to use, um, it makes me very daydreamy about my own dining room table. Um, where my family spent countless hours eating and drinking and enjoying life. Uh, it reminds me, when I think about that table, it reminds me of the first years of being a mom and trying to learn how to provide uh, for my little family and nourish my little family. Um, I think about Campbell and Graham being in their um, high chairs, like pulled up to the table. I don't know if you've ever fed two children at the same time, um, but the only word I know for it is like hilarious or messy or just a collision of, of food and laughter and spitting. I don't know. It's nuts. There, there are legitimately, they're uh, going to be 15 next week. Holy smokes. That's old. Yeah. Um, and there are still stains on our dining room table that we can't get out from them eating. Yeah. And how tired I was. I wasn't like a great cleaner. Um, <laughs> other gifts, other gifts. Uh, uh, Daniel was <laughs> Daniel was raised by his grandparents, and so he says when he came home in the afternoon, his table was just filled with everything that your parents would never buy you, but your grandparents would. And so his table was like full of all these snacks. So when we had kids, he was like, "We're gonna eat healthy, uh, no chicken nuggets." And I don't know if you've ever had children, but like you can't survive without a chicken nugget. <laughs> Right? So I used to buy chicken patties and use a pizza cutter and cut them into squares. And I'd be like, boys, these are chicken nuggets, but don't tell your dad. These are like secret chicken nuggets. Um, our, our table, it's been covered with craft paper and turned into like a giant charcuterie board for wedding showers and baby showers. Um, we've hosted like fancy dinners around it on the good china with multiple courses and wine pairings. And um, Huck, my littlest, he carved his name in our table. And like, I should probably be really mad at it, but really regularly, I just like run my fingers through the grooves of his name because I, I love it. I mean, he's, you know, always grounded anyway. So... Um, <laughs> At Christmas, <laughs> at Christmas time, uh, we cover it in parchment paper, and my nieces and nephews come over, and we make Christmas cookies with my mom. Um, years ago, we, we had a party, and uh, a nameless friend who is in this room, so I really won't say their name, was dancing in our living room. And um, part of his dance, and I'm using the word dance very generously here, uh, part of his dance uh, was that he was going to slide on his knees across my dining room. Uh, 
but what he didn't know is earlier that day, I spilled like half a bottle of canola oil <laughs> on the floor, and you can't get that up. And so he does the slide, and boy, did he slide. And he slid all the way into the leg of the table, which then split his pants open. <laughs> so I like to think of that when I look at the legs of my table, too. It's incredible. Uh, we played so many card games and board games uh, around the table. During COVID, um, our neighbors would come up and we would eat outside, but Tracy doesn't eat outside, so she'd sit at the table and open the windows and talk out the windows to us. We've done uh, uh, homework. We, I've written sermons around our table. I've had way more Zoom meetings than I've ever cared to have in my life around this table. We've, we've eaten good meals and plenty of very terrible ones that... I burnt uh, at dinner time a couple times a week. We, uh, my little family, we sit around and we lift up our plates and we say to the king, and then we uh, go around a circle and do highs and lows, or what Huck, Huck calls happies and crappies. <laughs> 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 he, he, need, he needs some discipline, guys. If you have any advice, um, <laughs> we've we've done a lot of life around our table because. I think that's true for a lot of us. So much of the richness of life happens around tables, right? For, for us in our house, the table is central to the life of our family and the vibrancy of our home. Uh, and I think it's, it, the same thing is true uh, for this room, that much of the, the richness of life in this room happens around this table. That's why I do Sermon B. It was funny because it was true, Chad. Um, around that table because so much of the vibrancy of this room uh, points to or is centered around what we do uh, at that table and at every point in the service. For us here, the table is central to uh, the richness and vibrancy of our gathering it is for our church a central place where we practice uh, the way of Jesus. So um, I think for many people, um, the active practice of faith uh, looks like a list of beliefs. Like, um, I'm a Christian because I believe this or I don't believe this. Um, and so following Jesus becomes more of a list of what you believe or don't believe than it does um, uh, something that's flourishing or something that's vibrant or something that's alive and growing and trying and living. But we talk often around here that, that our view of faith, it goes beyond believing things about who God is or why Jesus matters or uh, what the Holy Spirit is up to. We think that faith goes beyond believing into trying and into living. And so we want to be people who uh, try, people who practice, people who actively participate in what we claim that we believe. And so for us, communion or the table is one of those practices. It's one of the ways we do what we claim to believe. Uh, the fancy church word uh, for things like communion and baptisms and weddings and things like that is sacrament. And sacrament essentially just means an outward symbol of the inward grace that has shaped us and changed us greatly. Uh, there's a song I love that uh, I use the word great affection when I talk about communion all the time. And it's the song that says, I've been seized by the power of a great affection. And that's what I think of when I think of sacrament. Is sacrament's an outward symbol that we have been seized by a great affection. And so sacraments, they become things like railroad tracks, centering us back to, to what we believe just might be the most true thing in the whole world. And so when life gets bonkers, the, the table for Jesus' followers is our most clear practice to call us back home. So every week, that's why we do it. Every week we wait in line here and we uh, dip crackers into juice to remind us what home tastes like. 
We talked about this last week, that eternity is set in our souls. And, and, and I hope the same is true for you, that somehow through like a gluten-free ciabatta and Welch's not even 100% grape juice, eternity <laughs> awakes in your souls. <laughs> and so every week we walk up to this table as we participate in the wild hope that it offers. And so as we do that, I think it's incredibly important that we know the story of why uh, we do it. So... Before I dive in, we're going we're gonna to tell some stories, and then we'll, we'll come to the table. But um, for you nerds out there, uh, uh, there are two books that I really recommend if you're interested in learning more about communion and the table. Um, one is called uh, The Meal Jesus Gave Us by N.T. Wright. The Meal Je- we'll put these up on our uh, social media smart. But The Meal Jesus Gave Us by N.T. Wright, um, you're going to hear a lot from that today, highly influenced. Um, and then the second one is called The Eternal Current by Aaron Nequist, um, and it's not only about community, it's actually about spiritual formation. It's probably the book, one of the three books I recommend most for anyone to read. So those are the two, um, if you want to read a little bit more about it. So, okay, so Jamie read uh, the, Luke, the story from Luke, Luke's telling of the Lord's Supper. Um, but before we can dive into Luke, we actually have to go back like uh, a couple hundred years uh, to the story before the story. The story of the Lord's Supper actually starts much earlier in the Bible uh, with the story of the great exodus uh, for the people of God, the Israelite people. Um, in Exodus 12, um, which like we're not going to read all of Exodus 12, but you should read it on your own this week. It is bananas. You will love it. Um, uh, We have the story of the Passover. That's what happens in Exodus 12. And and so I'm just going to kind of retell the story. Uh, It goes like this. Uh, God's people, the Israelites, they were being held captive in Egypt, being oppressed by the Egyptian ruler. His name was Pharaoh, um, or his title was Pharaoh. And um, there's a lot to that. But at one point, God gives uh, his people this plan of rescue through Moses, who Chad was talking about earlier. And so the night, he he gives them this plan. I'm going to rescue you from the Egyptians. But the night before that escape, uh, the escape from the Israelites from Egypt is going to happen. Then God gives his people some very clear instructions about what they're supposed to do. He told them to sacrifice a lamb and to take its blood and spread it over the front door. And then use that lamb to prepare a really specific meal Uh, uh, that evening. And so that night, uh, what God would do is he was going to come into Egypt and he would strike all of the firstborn uh, sons and all of the firstborn animals all across the land. And so God said, put this blood on your door as evidence of your identity as my people and as a sign that I will pass over this place and I will spare your sons. The blood of the lamb, it was an identifier of God's people and a rescue of God's people. I hope you're catching the symbolism of it. So in Exodus 12, God gives Moses really clear instructions, not just about uh, putting the blood on the door, but also for how the Israelites were supposed to prepare a meal using this lamb to celebrate the event after it happened. It would become uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover Feast, if you've heard of Passover Feast. The event, it hasn't even happened yet. God hasn't even rescued his people yet. And he's already giving them instructions for how to throw the party to celebrate the rescue. I love that. I think you're, you know there's going to be a party. And you're like, I just can't wait. It's the people who send invitations like three months before the event. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. But thank you. I love your excitement. This is God. He's, he's planning the party before the event has even happened. Uh, The abbreviated version of God's command, the Lindsay translation of Exodus 12, is party or die. 
party or I'll kill you. Party, celebrate this rescue, or the rescue of your sons was pointless. If you don't celebrate this, then, then what I did doesn't even matter. God, who loves a party, says to his people, from this day forward, I want you to actively participate in remembering this moment, remembering what I did. And I want you to remember, I want you to explain it to your children and them explain it to their children and their children and their children. And for generations, tell people about how the judgment of God passed over your house and how his love hovered near to your children and how the blood of the lamb covered you in rescue. Remember, remember, remember. And what's amazing is that party is still happening. If you have any Jewish friends, the Passover is still happening today. Jewish families uh, continue the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They continue the Passover meal. Today, Jewish families will gather with their family around a table. And, and, the, and the, they have this very specific meal. It's called a Seder um, uh, of lamb and wine and bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And, and for generations and generations and generations at this meal, the head of the family will stand at the head of the table. And he will tell the story of the great rescue. And the feast is celebrated and the story is told. This is how God spared our people. This is how God rescued us. And if we were Jewish... And most of us aren't, pretty much all of us. What we would know innately uh, is that if we sat at that table innately, we would understand that the celebration of the Passover feast is not just about remembering the events of the past. What we would be very aware of in this moment at this table is that we are one with our ancestors. We are one with the people who's, who were spared by the blood on their doors. We are one with the people who uh, the next day would cross the Red Sea while it was wide open, who uh, would, those uh, time in the desert that, that child was talking about, where manna would rain from heaven, they would eat bread that fell from the sky. We're, we are one with those people. We would be very aware of this. We would, we would understand that their rescue is our rescue. That this party, this Passover celebration, it's not just a celebration of the rescue of our ancestors, but, uh, but the rescue or the rescue of just like one group at one particular time. Uh, one of the central purposes of the Passover party is the awareness and the realization that to eat this meal and to celebrate this memory is to claim to be the people of God now. We would understand and celebrate that their rescue was our rescue, that they, the rescued people of God, are us, the rescued people of God. The people who walked the Red Sea with mud between their toes, spared by the blood on their doors, filled and nourished by bread that fell from the sky, they are us. Passover for uh, Jewish people, for the people of God, means um, the, the claiming to be part of something bigger than just um, a particular meal in a particular room at that time. It, it's claiming to be part of them, the, the, the ancient them, part of God's people, his family who have been rescued and spared. Uh, this meal, it celebrates and reminds the people of God that they are connected uh, to each other by God's mercy. It's a celebration of belonging to the family of God, a participation and a practice in belonging. It's a meal that says they are us. So that's what sets up our story in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, we have Jesus and his disciples, and it's Passover time, and they're going to celebrate the Passover together. And it's important that we uh, hear that first story uh, because the Passover table leads us to the upper room. Uh, we read in Luke 22 that Jesus was sitting with his friends, 
And Luke tells us that Jesus spoke first, which means Jesus has put himself in a position he doesn't often do, but put himself at the head of the table uh, to lead the celebration, to lead the Seder meal. Uh, Luke tells us Peter and John, they, they found the place, they found the supplies, and the disciples and Jesus join them and they find themselves sitting around this table. In this meal, it would have been really familiar to the disciples. They would have known the steps of it by heart. They'd done it their whole lives. They would have known its liturgy, its words. They would have said them their entire lives. So Luke, he says, Jesus speaks first, placing himself at the head of the table. And the first thing that Jesus does is he lifts up a cup and he blesses it, the first cup of wine of the Seder meal. The traditional prayer begins, we praise God, ruler of everything, who creates the fruit of the vine. And then after that blessing of the first cup, there were 14 more steps uh, to do a full Passover meal. There's blessing and then hand washing. There's herbs and the prepared lamb and wine mixed all in between uh, these steps. But so Jesus, he's following these steps, but then he gets um, to the part with the bread. He gets to the part where he would break the unleavened bread before his disciples and he goes off script. For their entire lives, uh, someone would stand at the head of the table and bless the bread saying, this is the bread of suffering that our fathers ate in the wilderness. That's the line. That's the liturgy. That's what you were supposed to say. But Jesus, he goes off script. He doesn't bless the bread. He claims to be the bread. And that is very different. That is very different. He says, take this bread. It's my body. Eat it and remember me. Jesus, he's not even dead yet, and he gives instructions to celebrate him when he is. Sound familiar? Jesus, he takes the bread of suffering, and he holds it up to his followers, and he says, this bread that has been a symbol of suffering for your entire lives, it is me. I will suffer for you. I will give my life to bring you out of the wilderness. The bread, it's my body. It's my flesh. This is me. So now when you eat this bread, do not think of the suffering of the people. Now when you eat this bread, think of your great affection for me who suffers on your behalf. It had to have blown their minds. They, they, they knew the words and he stepped out. He went off script and it's wild. And he claims to be bread. It's crazy. And then uh, it, uh, we assume that the meal continues, but then he gets to the final cup. There are four cups of wine in the Jewish uh, Passover feast. He gets to the fourth cup, and, and Luke tells us that he holds up the cup, and he says, this cup, this cup is a new covenant. This cup it is a new covenant. It's an agreement poured out by my blood. For their entire lives, these Jewish men, uh, this fourth cup had been symbolically called the I will redeem cup. It was the cup of promise uh, of rescue for the Jewish people. And Jesus, he takes the wine and again, he flips the script. And like the bread, uh, he doesn't just bless the cup. He claims to be the cup. He says, redemption is no longer far away. There's a new agreement by my blood. I am a new covenant. Redemption belongs to me. And so now it is very near to you. In this room, at this meal, Jesus, he takes the bread, and he takes the cup, and he gives his friends a taste of, of what leads them and a taste of what's coming. A few days later in the garden, uh, the suffering and redemption of Jesus would begin to unfold as Jesus is arrested, and he's taken to the cross. And so uh, from this moment in the upper room, moving forward, the Passover meal changes forever. Because Jesus, through the table, through the celebration, uh, becomes the center of it. And through Jesus, the table gets wider, and it gets longer, 
And it becomes something way bigger than birthright. Because the celebration uh, became a land, a lamb whose blood would stand not just for the oldest sons of Israel, but for the entire world. What happened to the disciples that night in that room around that table, it was a, a meal for them, but it also instituted a meal for us. Because they are us. And we are them. Their rescue is our rescue, and their celebration is our celebration. Their remembering is our remembering. And so at the Lord's Supper, uh, the past, the Israelites of the past and the present and what's coming in the future, they all collide into this meal. And so for a moment, we, uh, when we practice the Lord's table, we are connected. We're connected to the Israelites in their great exodus. We're connected uh, to the disciples confused in an upper room on the verge of everything changing. And we're connected to all of the saints that have gone before us and all of the saints that will come after us. We are a collision of past, present, and future. We are in this moment uh, connected to the kingdom of God breaking in with us and the kingdom of God breaking in ahead of us past, present, and future colliding into one meal. Because while it's a table of remembering what was, it's also uh, within it an active command to remember what hasn't even happened yet. Remember, uh, God, uh, before the blood was even on the doors, he said, here's how you'll celebrate this. And Jesus does the same thing before he even goes to the cross. He says, here's how you'll celebrate this. Uh, Rowan Williams, who is the former Archbishop of Canterbury, he says that the table is the beginning of the end of the world. Essentially what he means is this table points us to a new heaven and to a new earth, to the kingdom of God coming in all of its fullness and putting all things back to right. I hate to end the, to spoil the end of the story for you, but uh, a lot of people teach that the world ends by like earth blowing up and people getting sucked into the sky. And there's some problems with that. Most of them are the Bible because uh, it's not in there. Um, but instead, you want to know how the story ends? The story ends with a king at a table with all of his people. The table is be the beginning of the end of the world. It's where we come from and it's where we're going. It's not an explosion that ends the world. It's a radical act of hospitality, a meal with a king. This is not just uh, the table of the past or the present. It's also the table of the future, the, the table of the end of the world. Before we close up and move to it, because I'm like so excited, um, I want to talk about what people believe and practice about communion or, again, the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Again, you can call it whatever you want. You're allowed to. And lots of people do it lots of different ways. We come with backstories. We've all practiced it in lots of different ways. There are some of you who your faith tradition uh, growing up taught you that the bread transforms and the blood transforms into the actual body and blood of Christ in your mouth. Uh, some of you, some of us, they believe that the, the act of communion is um, in that moment, that the kingdom of God breaks in in that moment. And, and through uh, bread and juice, uh, Jesus offers us a piece of the heart of heaven. Uh, some places only take communion on big holidays or like the church I grew up in, it was quarterly. Um, before, uh, and, and that was to keep it maybe sacred or to keep it from being small. And then other people do it every single week so that it doesn't become small or so it stays sacred. Um, some churches, they practice closed communion. It's, it's a table only for members or for baptized believers or for confirmed followers of Jesus. And in some places, it's open really wide for anybody who wants it. 
Uh, some people dip and some people sip and some people have silver trays with those little tiny cups. You know what I'm talking about? Or silver trays with the little tiny crackers. I dropped one of those as a kid. King, 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 all throughout the church. And then we just picked it back up and kept passing it like a good Baptist. You know, <laughs> keep her going there. It was awesome. Um, people do it in all different ways. Some people use snack packs. My friend Gary one time said that he did communion with a donut and some grape Fanta. Um, during COVID, when we were doing church online, someone sent me a picture, and it was a cup of whiskey and a tortilla, and they said, is this communion? And I was like, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's close. Um, <laughs> People who love Jesus and who love the Bible and who love the church and who love the table come to this moment in all kinds of different ways. And that's okay. Like, I have lots of opinions about the table. We can have coffee. I'll tell you all of them. I have lots of opinions. Like, like I don't know if it transubstantiates in my mouth. And, and I do feel really strongly about doing it every week. And, and I feel very, very strongly that anybody who wants to be part of this table gets to be. If Judas got to sit at the table, anybody gets to sit at the table. And I'm not sure a donut does the trick. But, you know, it was worth a shot. And I hate that we use Welch's. I have so many opinions about this table. And you might agree with me about them, and you might disagree with me about them, uh, and that's okay. That's really, really okay. But here's the thing I am sure, most sure of when it comes to this table. At this table and in this practice, Jesus is with us. That is what I'm sure of. Jesus is with us. He is present in the moment, connecting us to the collision of past and present and future. And that is powerful. It's transformational. It's worth showing up for every single week. And so every week we walk forward and I look in your eyes and some of you look back in mine and some of you don't. (laughs) Or if you're D-Doolin, you bound up to the front giggling because you're so happy. We walk forward and I look in your eyes and you look in my eyes and I say, Christ's body broken or Christ's blood poured out for you. And Jesus is present with us in that moment. And for a moment, we're not just in this room. We're not just in this room. We're in Egypt on the verge of exile. We're in an upper room with the disciples. We're at the table that's coming at the end of the world. We're not just in this room. We're part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We practice this meal because we believe that the kingdom of God is living and it is active. And we take it and we taste it just for a moment. We believe that we are being asked to participate in that kingdom. The party of remembering with great affection the rescue of Israel and the rescue of Jesus and the coming rescue in the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness is why we come forward. One of the reasons that uh, I love that we do communion every single week here is that um, it means that no matter what happened in your week and no matter what happened in this service, everything points there. We can count on this table. Like if you come and the announcement video doesn't work, and let's be honest, most of the time it doesn't, right? We still go to the table. And, and, and when the air conditioning or the heating doesn't work, and let's be honest, most of the time it doesn't, we still go to the table. And if the music is good and amazing like this morning, or if it's bad, it's never bad, but uh, then we still come to the table. Or if the sermon is good or bad or long or short, uh, we still come to the table, Or if you're in a good mood, or you argued the entire way to church, as most of us do, we still 
go to the table every single week, no matter what happens in this room or has happened outside of this room, we land in the exact same place every single week. The table of rescue, the table of belonging, the table that identifies us as God's people. And I think that matters. I think it matters so much. Because this life gives us every opportunity to miss Jesus. And once a week, we have the chance to not. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a minute. We do a Selah every single week here at the Vineyard. It's just a quiet pause uh, to not move on too fast from what we're talking about uh, into that table. And uh, today, we're just going to take like an extended time to prepare ourselves uh, for what we're about to do. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul gives some instructions about what Christians are supposed to do uh, at the table. And it's these good instructions that he says we come without division or divisiveness. And so uh, we should work on that in our hearts before we get here. Uh, he says that we should come with reverence. The, the message version calls it holy awe. I love that. We should come forward with holy awe. And so I just want to take some time now uh, to, to, to spin on it. So if you're here and you're a Jesus follower, take time to settle what divides you in your heart and, and to uh, stir within you a holy awe, uh, the great affection for what God has done and what God is doing. Take a moment to remember the rescue of our ancestors and to give thanks for our own rescue and to invite God's kingdom to break through in this moment. Uh, we're going to put some verses up, and uh, these are fun. These verses come from Psalm 118, um, and Psalm 118 is the Passover song. And so most likely Jesus and his followers sung this song uh, that night in the upper room. It has been sung at Passover meals since the very first one. And so we're going to, maybe not the very first one. I'm actually not sure about that. It's been sung a long time. Uh, and so we're going to put it on the screen. And so if it helps you to connect to the past uh, and look forward to the future, uh, follow along with those verses. So 